But this morning I'd like to talk about the power of God's word to transform our lives or to transform lives. Because it's very true that God's word is very powerful and it can transform lives. And I'd like to take some time to look at that and look at its ability to do that. First, I'd like to establish the fact that God's word is powerful. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the sunder of the soul and spirit, and the joints and the marrow, and it is a discerner in the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so here he tells us that the word of God is quick and powerful. And we think of quick and powerful, we think of fast, but the quick, it means it's lively or living. The word of God is living, it's powerful. It has the ability to divide asunder the soul and the spirit. You know, it can split that within the man. It can split the hearts and the thoughts of the intents of the heart. The word of God can open up and tell you who you really are. You know, we sometimes may wonder who we are. We may sometimes wonder, you know, about different people's motivations or different things within our lives. But the word of God can tell you all those things. It can help and divide us. It is very powerful. In Isaiah chapter 55 and 11, it says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my... Sorry. So shall my word be forth out of my mouth, if it, it shall not return unto me void, that it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the things whereunto I send it. And so in Isaiah, God tells us that his word will not return unto him void. It will accomplish the things he accomplished. He wants it to accomplish. Sorry about that. But God's word will not be void. It will have an effect. It will make a change. And sometimes, unfortunately, that change is not for the better. But God's word will have an effect in the change on people. It will not return unto him void. It will do what he means for it to accomplish. And so we have to recognize that God's word is very powerful. And it will have an effect on people. God's word changes people. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 23, it says... Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and in the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So here we see that the word of God is what allows us to be born again. It allows us to be born again from a corruptible seed to an incorruptible one. It's done by the Word of God. That is what allows us to do that. We think about the resurrection. We think about laying down these corruptible bodies we have. And, you know, I, I realize that I am not old enough to really be considered old. I'm not really old enough to be considered the, to deal with some of the issues of old age, but yet I am old enough to to hurt sometimes when I wake up. I'm old enough to not have the stamina and the strength and the speed and the, the recall that I had when I was younger. And I'm old enough to recognize that this body is going to wear out. But we're going to get to trade that for an incorruptible body, one that will not wear out, one that not will be burdened of the flesh. And that is through the power of the Word of God. It will change us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, it says that you would not wear that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, but when you received the word of God, when you heard of this, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as the word of truth and the word of God, which effectively worketh also in you that believe. And so he tells them he thanks for, he's thankful for them because 
that were called into the kingdom of God. He's thankful for them because of the way their lives have changed, because the way they're living their lives, the way they're being Christians, and the way they're doing the things that are correct. And these people in Thessalonica, if we remember the, about Thessalonica, that's where Paul was ran out of town. That's where he was ran out of town because the people were there, but there were Christians that held on, and he's thankful for them. And he says, because they received the word of God, they received the word as in truth, and it effectually worked within them. It had an effect on them. It worked within them. It was effective in changing who they were. Because the word of God is powerful and it can change people. The word of God can change and change us. I'd like to take a minute and look at some examples of some people who were changed by the word of God. The first one that came to mind was Peter. And maybe that's because we just got through reading and studying about Peter's denial of the Lord. In Mark chapter 14, verse 70, it says, And he denied it again, he being Peter, and it being who Jesus was. And a little after, they that stood by and said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art Galilean, and thy speech agreeth therein too. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time he, the cock crowed, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he brought... And when he thought their own, he wept. And so here we see that Peter here is denying Christ. He's being pressured by the people around him. Christ is being on trial, and Peter denies him. He doesn't have the faith to stand upon to him. He's being questioned by servant girls and by people who are just outside of the, 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 the uh, Caiaphas' home, the high priest's home. He's outside of the assembly where Christ is being judged. But even in that group of people... He's denying Christ. We turn over to Acts chapter 4 and verse 18 and we see that Peter has been called by Caiaphas and Annas, and Annas the two, the, the current and past high priest, and their relatives and all these other men of great importance. And the high priest, they served to function as a leader of that people. The Roman government had like a, <clears throat> was a government, but these were the religious leaders and they had political power and they had influence and they had strength within the community these are probably people that Peter, as a young man, looked up very highly to as he was growing up. And so when these men of this high esteem pulled Peter together and they told him that he should, and that's the day here, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in God, in the sight of God, for hearken unto you more than, the, than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so here we see a change in Peter. We see a man who was denying Christ when pressured by servants. Stand in front of the bold leaders of the religion of the time. Bold men that he had looked up as men of faith and men of leadership when he was a young man. And he goes, you judge whether I should do what you say or what God says. Because I will not deny Christ. I will always preach God. I will only tell the things that I see. Because it's only right. You see that change in Peter. He went from one who was afraid, willing to swear to get out of the situation, to one who was bold enough to stand before these men of the, men of the faith, if you will, men of these religious leaders, and tell them that he was going to do what God says rather than what they said, because God was what was right. You see that change in him. And history tells us that Peter went to his death and died preaching the gospel and would not deny it. It changed Jacob. 
In Genesis chapter 32 and verse 17, it says, And he commanded, and, and he being Jacob, and he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Who art thou, and whither goest thou, and who are these before thee, and who, and who shall thou say? He says, Thou be thy servant Jacob's, and it is present in the present sin unto the Lord Esau. Behold, this, behold, he is behind us. And he commanded the second and the third, and all that followed in droves, saying, on, on this manner shall you speak unto Esau, and when by you find him, and say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the presence that, that goeth before me, and afterwards I will see his face, and peradventure he might accept of me. So went the present over before him and himself and lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and eleven sons and passed over, passed over the ford Jack, Jabbok. But he took them and sent them over the brook and, he, and sent them over that he had. And so here we see in this verse, Jacob, although it was allowed by God, because Esau had given up his birthright, he used trickery to get that birthright. And when his father died, Esau swore to Jacob, because of your trickery, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob fled, and he went into the, went back to his homeland, his, where his people came from. And he took his wives, and he had built this great wealth, and he had this family, he had these 11 sons. And it got time for him to go back home because him and his father-in-law had a run-in. He couldn't live with his father-in-law anymore because of the nature of his father-in-law. He staggered out all of his wealth and he lined it all out in front of him. And he sent it first. And that's what he's talking about. He said he, sent all, he lined it all out and he sent them. And each servant, he said, this is Jacob's behind and this is to appease you. Jacob's supposed to be behind and this is to appease you. And Jacob was at the very back. In fact, at the last, he sent his wife and kids in front. That kind of brings new meaning to the term women and children first. But he put everything he had in front of him so that Esau's wrath may be appeased before it got to him. He was scared to death of Esau and he was willing to give up everything unto Esau just to appease him in his wrath. But Jacob had a vision and Jacob wrestled with a man and Jacob encountered God. And when Jacob came out of that encounter, Jacob was a new man. In Genesis chapter 33 and verse 1, it says, And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau, and came, and with him the 400 men. And so he sees Esau coming with 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and to Rachel and the two handsmen. And he put the handsmen and the children foremost, and Leah and her children after that, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And that's because of what he thought of them. That still he's putting the ones he likes most up front. But here you see a difference. He says, And he passed over before them, and he bowed himself to the ground seven times, and he came to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes, and saw the women and children, and said, Who are these with thee? And he said, The children which God had graciously given thy servant. And so it's a different encounter than what Jacob was envisioning. But we see a change in Jacob in the fact that Jacob went from the back of the pack to the front. He was no longer afraid of Esau. He was no longer this man who thought, well, I'm going to let him take out his wrath on everything else. And then hopefully by the time he gets tired, gets to me, he'll be tired or he'll be appeased. Instead, he met him up front because we see the change in Jacob. We see the power of the word of God to change a man from being a coward to being brave, to being 
one who put everything and risked everybody else's life to risking himself and putting himself out front and taking that. We see that change in him because he can change. The word of God can change us. The word of God changed Saul to Paul. In Acts chapter 1, and it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there were a great persecution against the church at Jerusalem. And they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And the devout men carried Stephen to his burial. And that was the death that was spoke of earlier. And made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering to every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore... They that say, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And so Saul here, he made havoc on the church. He consented to this man's death. He made havoc. He went into people's houses and he threw them in jail for nothing more than being Christians. That's what you want to talk about. Hate, that's what you want to talk about. You know, vile dislike and wanting to stomp out and persecution and and just really wanting to kill this movement. He's, he was busting down doors and, and dragging people out in the street and, and going, hey, are you a Christian or not? And if they said yes, they were thrown into jail. You know, we see kind of those kind of things some, sometimes in TV shows and movies where people are acting that brutally towards people. And we think, well, that, you know, that's just fiction. But this is what Paul was doing. And this was a, you know, a Christian's nightmare come true. And the Bible tells us about later that, you know, once Paul, when Saul was converted, that to, and became Paul that other Christians didn't necessarily want to even fellowship with him for a while because they were so afraid of him because he had left havoc on the church. One thing that's kind of an interesting side note, it says that though they were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Despite all his efforts, despite all the havoc he caused and the damage he did, he did not stop the word of God. It spread throughout. But in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, this is Paul writing of his own Words. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, and always say now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or whether or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So here a man went from going out and killing people because they believed in Christ to willing to die for him, to willing to live for him. He says, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, it has completely changed his whole outlook. The word of God completely changed who this man was from one who was willing to do whatever it took to destroy and stop the word of God to do whatever it took to promote Christ and the word of God. It completely changed who he is. And so we see the power of the word of God to change people, to change even the most hateful people, the most vile sinners, those who would be most trust, distrusted, most who do, do most terrible things, the most cowardly things most despicable things and turn them into godly men. Men who are brave, men who are honorable, men who would die for the cause of the Lord. And the power of the God has that ability. And we should never forget that. It has that ability to change anyone, no matter who they may be. But it changes us by ways. It has ways it changes us. And the Word of God does some things. And I'd like to look at a few of those. One of the things it does is it corrects us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, 15, and that former child with us, and from a child that has known that the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make these wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, and all scriptures given by the inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly 
may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. And so here Paul is telling Timothy that he has known these holy scriptures since he was a child. But they are profitable for doctrine, for establishing what is correct, for establishing God's teaching. And we need to learn and know the doctrine. Doctrine is important for reproof, for reproof, for figuring out what is wrong, what we need to change, for correction, for correcting us, for knowing an instruction in righteousness. How should we do better? The Word of God is doing for all that. It corrects us. It shows us what is right. It leads us to the right way. We can see that. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, in his righteousness. He that is propitiation of our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, whereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And, he's, and then he saith, I know him, he keepeth not my commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But I would keep his word, and verily I say, the love of God is perfect hereby, Know that all know that we are in his hereby know we that we are in him. And so he says that he wrote these things unto them so they should sin not. He wrote them so they wouldn't sin. He wanted to correct them of their sins. And we think about all the letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians and all the other letters that are written. All of these letters have a letter of correction to them. There's a letter, there's a there's a tendency to teach people, don't do these things. This is what you need to change. This is how you correct yourself. This is where you're wrong. And we can apply those things to us because we're people like they were people. And the Word of God, it corrects us. It shows us our failures and our faults. It opens up to us and allows us to see where we're wrong and where we make mistakes. It also builds us up. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, same, same passage, same book, just a few verses beforehand. It says, That which you have seen and heard declared unto you, that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. That is, the message that we have heard of him and declared unto you, that God is the light in him, there is no darkness at all. And so our joy can be full. The Word of God lifts us up. It, it brings us up. It, it gives us full joy. We can have joy into the Word of God. We can be lifted up. We can be strengthened by it. It can be encouraged by that. He wrote unto them that, that they would know that they have fellowship with us, that they have fellowship with him and in fellowship with the Father, and that they can have full joy. And so in writing, he tells them, I want you to have full joy, but I want you not to sin. So it may correct us. It may show us where we're wrong, but it also lifts us up and strengthens us. It also encourages us to be strong. It encourages and builds us up. It gives us comfort. Romans 5 and verse 4, it says, Whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now the, now the God of patience is consolations grant to you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. And so we have patience and we have comfort through the Scriptures. They give us comfort. We give us, they, give, they grant us consolation. They allow us to have comfort. We have hope. We have that comfort because we know that life can be troubling. And so the scriptures, not only do they correct us, but they give us comfort. They give us peace. They allow us to see that there is a better time coming that God will provide for us. That we can take comfort in knowing in the loss of loved ones. We can take comfort in the difficulty and trials that Jesus loves us, that he has a plan for our eternal salvation. And they also, in that manner, they give us faith. 
In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So here he tells us, we got to hear the word of God to have faith. Our faith comes through hearing his word. Without hearing his word, we can't have faith. And when we hear his word, we build up our faith. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, and this was following Hebrews 11, where it talks about all the heroes of faith, if you will, all these people who did all these things by faith, how they, sub how they subdued kingdoms, how they suffered and were not delivered, how they suffered persecution, how they were strengthened, all the things that they overcomered and did by faith. He tells us, Wherefore, seeing also, we're compassed by that so great a cloud of witness. These people are witnessing to us. These people are telling us that they have accomplished this. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doeth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for they that for for the joy that was set before us endureth the cross, despising the shame, and set down on the right hand of the throne of God. You know, I like to study and read through Judges, and I like to study and read through Kings because it teaches us about God's and and a lot of the other Old Testaments, but those those accounts, those histories, if you will, they teach us about God's will, how God deals with the common man, or how God deals with men, how God is faithful, how he is patient, how he won't tolerate sin. But we see that God is faithful in his promises in those things. When people do what he says, they are faithful. We see that in Genesis and, and, and the other histories as well. But when we really want to look to that, we look at the Jesus. When we look at what Jesus did for us, it has to build our faith. When we look for the love that Jesus has given us, it has to build our faith. To know he would die for us, it builds our faith. It builds our confidence in him. It builds our strength to know that he, can, he will be there and support us. And so when we study the word, we transform us. It should give us strength. It should give us faith. So I have a couple of questions. And the first question is, are we transforming the world with God's word? We know that God's word can transform we know it can make change, but are we transforming? Are we changing the world? In Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Here he tells us that we have a commandment from God. He says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He doesn't say go into a part of the world. Go to the people that go into the nice neighborhoods. Go into the people that are friendly. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We have a responsibility to go preach the gospel to everybody. And go into the world, teach those around us. And it's because they can be saved. It's not because they can be happy, although there's happiness and joy in the Christ. But they can be saved from their sins. They can have eternal life. Their salvation is on the line. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 5, it says, But the Jews which believed not, moving with envy, took upon took unto them certain lewd fellows of baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city upon an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring him out to the people. And when they found him, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down, and come hither also, whom Jason had received, and all these do contrary to the decree of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city, and when they heard these things. And so here they came in there, and they were looking for, for Paul, and they were looking for the, for the other evangelists and people there. 
And this man Jason, he had given them shelter. He had taken them in. But they come around and they get all the ruffians, all the lowlifes, as it will, if you will. It says, Fellow, lewd fellows of a baser sort. And so he gathers up all the, the troublemakers in town and they come and they bang on this guy Jason's door and they pull him out and they drag him out there and they drag him before the magistrate and says, these men, these are the men who have turned the world upside down. Can the same be said about you? Will someone accuse you of turning the world upside down? Will someone accuse me of turning the world upside down? Are we transforming the world? Are we doing what these men are doing? Are we going out and preaching the gospel to the point that, the, that we could be accused of turning the world upside down? They were. These Christians, they were done that. They were out there preaching and making such a change within the world that their adversaries accused them of turning the world upside down because of their preaching of Jesus. Are we transforming the world with God's word? The next question, are we being transformed? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that, your presence of your that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Through his word, we can transform our mind. And you know, I've talked about this word transformed, and maybe I should have done this earlier in my sermon, I don't know, but I'm going to talk about being transformed. What does it mean to be transformed? You know, I'm a working electrical engineer, and we use transformers all the time. When we take transformers, we take electrical power, and we raise up the voltage or we lower the voltage, and we change the characteristics. High voltage is a lot more dangerous. It has a lot more... It's a lot more likely to arc and jump across distances. It will need more insulation. But you can run great distances with almost no loss of power. It's a lot more efficient. You don't lose the power drop. And so when you see the poles out there that run through our neighborhoods, and some of them are really tall structures, and some of them are on little wooden poles, they're different voltages, and they're used for different purposes. And then we bring them down to a smaller, safer voltage, and we take it to our house. It's electrical power on both sides. Either way, it's still electrical power, but its characteristics changed. Its characteristics changed. So when we transform, it means to change our characteristics. You know, sometimes I think, we, you know, when you think about transforming, you think maybe like a caterpillar and a butterfly. That caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly. It's changed its characteristics. It's still the same creature, but it's completely different. It's changed its characteristics. And so we are to change our characteristics, and the Word of God can do that. We are to be changed and not conformed. You know, if you think about something that's conformed, you, you think about maybe a, I don't know if anybody even knows what silly putty is, but you could take silly putty and you could lay it on a newspaper and you could flatten it out and you could pull it back up and you'd have the copy of that ink there on that silly putty. And it would give you that, it would be conformed to that image. It would look like whatever you laid it upon. And that's not what we want to be. We don't want to be something that's just pushed around and molded by the world. But we want to be transformed, intentionally changed by the Word of God. We want to intentionally change who we are. We want to intentionally grow. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if, there, for if any be a hearer of the Word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way straight, 
straightway forgetting what manner of man he was. You know, that's what he says. He says, how crazy would it be if I got up in this morning and I saw that I wasn't shaved and my hair was a mess and, and, and you know, I was disheveled and, and I just, you know, I, I got dressed and came to church without taking care of any of those things. That is what it's like to be a person who is a hearer of the word and not a doer. A hearer only. Someone who hears the word but doesn't change what they are. They don't do the word. They don't keep the commandments. They don't make the changes that are taught in there. It's like somebody who looks in the mirror and just walks off and says, oh, I'm fine, you know. Where they needed to, to be corrected. They needed to change their appearance and fix their appearance. Now, I do tell you, sometimes I look in the mirror and I go, man, I'm getting old. And then I walk off and start living life and I forget it. Because, you know, I don't want to accept that I'm not, that I'm getting as old as I am. And like I said, I, I don't realize, think I'm really that old. But I'm not as young as I used to be. But I see the gray hairs. I see that when I look in the mirror. But I walk off and go, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm still a young man. Um... We don't need to forget who we are. We need to look at the Word of God and see that this is God's Word. There's a standard for us to live to in that Word. And in within that standard, we're missing those marks, and we need to change. And we need to change and do better. And sometimes I think we fall into the path, and I hope you all can see that chart. We fall into the path of this logarithmic growth chart. And, you know, when we start off as a young Christian... We're down here and we think, oh yeah, we're doing good. And we're growing. And as we get older, we think, oh well, we're, we really don't have to change much anymore because we've kind of established ourselves as a Christian. And we think, well, we're getting close to God's righteousness or something like that. We don't feel the need to grow anymore. We feel like that's not a need for change. And we don't, well, we don't need to change a whole lot. I think sometimes we can fall into that trap, and it's a trap. Because this is not truly what it looks like. Our Christian path is probably more like this, and this is probably still not strong enough, where this is perfection up here at 100%. This is God. And we're down here trying to make changes and grow as best we can. We're so far from God's perfection that we always have lots of room to grow. There's always lots of room to grow. We should never say, I, I don't have much room to grow. We may have grown a lot, but we still have so much further to grow. If you want to realize just how much further you have to grow, start studying Jesus' life. Start studying Jesus' death. Look at the love that was shown, the forgiveness that was shown, the obedience that was shown. You know, we're going into these scriptures, and we want to take these scriptures, and we want to study about all that Jesus did for us. Let's compare ourselves to that standard, and we'll see just how far we have to go. We're so far from where we need to be as Christians because we're just humans. And we always have lots of room to grow. So let's never be complacent in our spiritual growth. Let's never think we've made it. We're almost there. Because truly we are so far from His glory. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 5, he says, Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember in the ways. Behold, thou art thou wroth, and for, the, for ye have sinned in, and those continuance and shall be saved. But we are... But we are as all as unclean things, our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf in our iniquities. Like the wind is taken away, and there is none that is called upon that name that stirs himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and thou hast consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, thou art our father, and we are the clay. Thou art the potter, and we are the works of thy hand. And so he tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. It's trash. Our righteousness to God is trash. There's no value in it. 
There's no value in what we may claim to be righteous. He says, but he says, we are the clay. Work us with your hands. You are the potter and we are the clay. Mold us, transform us into who you want us to be. And that's the attitude we should have, that the things that we do, the things that we come, the spiritual growth that we have grown, and we, we should have spiritual growth. It should be a focus of our life. But so far, what we've gone and what we've completed compared to God's righteousness is only trash. And we should lean upon Him to continue to mold us, to continue to perfect us, to continue to make us in His image and use His Word to do that because it will, because it is powerful and transformative. In Philippians chapter 3 and verses 11, it says, By any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead, not as those I had already attained, either we had already perfect, perfect, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend for that which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize for the high calling of God of Jesus Christ. And he says that, you know, he's wanting to obtain resurrection. He's wanting to obtain salvation from and the resurrection of the dead, that's his goal. And he realizes that he is not perfect. He realizes that he has a long ways to go. And he don't look back at all the problems and mistakes he had made, but he keeps his eye on that mark. He strives and he, he presses forward towards the mark of the prize of Jesus Christ. That is what he keeps his eyes on. That is what he's focused on. He's focused on that standard and trying to get as close to that standard as he can, realizing we will never make it. But that is the standard he's driving to. And that's my admonition to you today, brethren and sisters, that we strive, we strive and press towards that mark of the prize of Jesus Christ. Let's strive to change ourselves, to be better daily. Let's strive to be better. We won't be better every day. We'll have good days and we'll have bad days. But we'll strive every day to be better. We'll strive to grow closer to Christ. And growing closer and closer to Him, molding and transforming ourselves in His image through the studying and opening of His Word. That's how we do it. We have to open His Word. We have to open that Word and study it, read it, understand it, meditate upon it. Put that Word in our heart because that has the power to change for our lives. That has the power that we can press towards the mark. I appreciate your attention. Hopefully, in pressing towards the mark, Hopefully in studying our words that I've inspired you to study your Bible more. Read upon it more. Focus on it more. Apply it to our lives more. Write it to our hearts more. Because we're never going to be there. And I encourage you to. We want to offer an invitation. We talked about it in the Great Commission. That we should go and teach those about Jesus. Teach them about Him because those who believe on Him and are baptized shall be saved. And if you haven't been baptized, you have not been saved. If you have not been baptized for the remission of sins, you have not been saved. And if you haven't done that, we encourage you to take care of that today if you understand what that means and what the need of sin. But we also recognize that being part of a church body, that as we all are striving, we all are studying His Word, we all are transforming, we all are changing, that we need one another. And one of the ways we can help each other is we can pray for one another with our difficulties, with our struggles. And we want to offer an invitation for anyone who would like to have the prayers of the church as well as we come and lead this invitational song.